can't talk environmental justice without talking social justice because they are just so interconnected and sustainability is interconnected to everything at the end of the day. And how do we protect our environment and our earth? Hey, hi, hello. Welcome back to the Tea Please podcast. I am so glad you're here. This week is a good one. You just heard from our guest this week, Becky Migas. She is a co-founder of Women in Sustainability, which is a community and organization that really focuses on sustainability and what that means and how to bring change in our world through sustainability efforts. This topic is one that I'm really passionate about. I'm passionate about all the topics I bring on here, you guys, if you have not noticed already, but this one in particular, along with like the toxic ingredients episode, which was episode number three, if you want to go back and listen to that with Elizabeth Bulos. There's so much information in both of these episodes, but I get kind of touchy about topics like this because they require change and awareness. Like we have to listen and be open to what these guests are saying and it's going to mean that we have to change our behavior or take a look at the behaviors and habits that we formed so all that being said i hate fear tactics and using fear like even when i'm picking clips to promote these episodes i'm thinking like oh my gosh is someone gonna listen to this and feel bad about themselves that they aren't doing something the very last thing i want to do is pile on guilt for any topic i never want you to feel like you have to do something that's in these episodes, but I do wanna have open and honest conversations and talk about the real stuff so that we can make positive change. So please do not feel guilty. Becky is amazing and that is not at all the objective of this interview. So do what you can, no judgment. We're here to learn and be open and that's it. But before we get into it with Becky, I wanted to tell you about what I've been eating, rather drinking every single night before bed. I have a really, really, really strong sweet tooth. I mean, I don't want chips, I don't want salty, I only want sugar, I only want chocolate, I want all the sweets, but I've really, really, really been trying to reel that in lately. And Four Sigmatic Mushroom Cacao Mix has really been doing it for me. There's so many things I like about it. Number one, it's not a full cup of hot chocolate. Like when I first got these packets, it calls for like an ounce of liquid. So it's not this whole big drink that you're having right before bed, which I have a problem with because I know I'm gonna have to get up and go to the bathroom at least three times if I have like a big drink before bed. So it's really ideal that it's just an ounce or so. I usually end up doing like an ounce and a half of oat milk with this mix and then you can just sip on it really slow. So it's organic cacao mixed with reishi mushrooms, which gives it this earthy flavor, so it's not super sweet. It is slightly sweetened, but this is the trick, you guys. I add one square of Trader Joe's dark chocolate into the mix and melt that so that it's just extra chocolatey. I get the 73% dark chocolate from Trader Joe's. It's in a purple package, and I just break off one square after I heat up the milk and put it in there, stir it up, and it's so good. It adds the perfect amount of sweetness because, you know, I have to have like a little extra sugar, of course. The organic cacao and reishi mixture have naturally calming properties to them, so it's a really great stress reliever and a great way to wind down your evenings. I will have it linked in the show notes for you, and I'll also have it linked on my website along with some of the other must-haves that I have talked about on the show before, and you know, I stand by them. I would take these products to my grave. Go ahead and click subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on so you never miss an episode. New episodes drop every single Monday with a new guest that spills the tea on something new, something that will help us be better humans, something that deserves a conversation. And if you're thinking, dang, yeah, I would really like to support this podcast and write a review, but I am not, probably not going to do it. 
do it. Just set a reminder and then and do it. It really helps out and you're going to feel good because you're putting some good energy out there. You're helping a podcast. You're keeping it going. So yeah, go ahead and write that review for me. Thanks. All right, with that, let's welcome our guest for this week to talk about women and sustainability and what we can do to help our planet. We talk about recycling, we talk about sustainable swaps, we talk about what we can do within our reach to make the world a better place. Let's welcome Becky Migas. I'm coming to you as a novice with my knowledge of what. But even the word sustainability encompasses. So I think that's a good starting point. What is your involvement in sustainability and that topic and that genre? And have you always been interested? Like, what's your background and where are you coming from with this? So I have just always had a passion for sustainability. I don't have a degree in it or anything, but I've worked in the event industry for over 15 years. And personally, I try to live a better life for the environment. So trying to make sure I recycle and compost and um, really reduce the waste that I bring into my home and finding alternative solutions versus something that I can use one time and throw it away. And it just had always been something that I'm really, really passionate about. And so when I left my full-time job in the concert industry in 2018, I decided I really wanted to focus on involving sustainability into my business, whatever that was. I started off working with um, doing events, so uh, the company called Be Green Events and helping to produce environmental events and conferences. And that really morphed over a year and a half into starting an organization called Women in Sustainability. And Women in Sustainability launched in April 2019. Uh, We are in the process of getting our 501c3. We're a Facebook group of over 1,100 members currently where there's lots of conversations happening every day um, on different topics around sustainability. But it's really just an amazing like group to be able to come together and, and really figure out how we can have solutions in different industries to help create a better future for our kids and grandkids and um, you know everybody that's going to be living well past us. Yeah, that's awesome. I just joined it. So I'm ready to learn some more stuff because I just think it's so important and it's really hard to do, which is why I wanted to bring you on and kind of like hopefully break that stigma a little bit and make it a little bit more accessible because this year has been crazy and there's been a lot of like natural weather phenomenon and fires in Colorado and just speaking to climate change and how that is just getting increasingly more prevalent and obvious. So one of my first questions for you is conscious consumerism. What is it? Really, it's just about like thinking about what it is that we are consuming in our daily lives. So for me, I think about almost everything that touches my hands. Like where did it come from? How did it get to the store? How, you know, is there another alternative to it that might be better? as well as how long will I have it in my life? Will it stay in my life for a really extended period of time? So the idea around conscious consumerism is just taking a more deep look into what we're buying and how we're buying and how we're using it for helping to reduce our waste at the end and helping to be able to turn things away from the landfill and actually have a place that those products can go. Can they go to recycling? Can they go to... Um, another life after that, what can be done with it. Um, So just taking a really hard look at that stuff. And sometimes it's 
could be a little difficult and challenging, especially because there's not a lot of transparency in a lot of products that we buy. And so taking that time is really a lot of energy. And it's going to like unveil a lot, you know, like once you know, I am hesitant to do that because I'm like, ugh, I just don't want to think about this all the time. Or like, I know that I'm going to feel guilty if I find out where this came from or what's going to happen to it. And I just kind of don't want to face it. It's like, in my opinion, one of the biggest hurdles with this topic and doing better collectively is like people will have to face what that means for their lives personally and how they live. And it like requires a change, I would think. What's something that really bothers you? Is it the straws? Is it the bags at the grocery store? <laughs> like, what are some of those everyday things that we come into contact with that you're like, these have to go? <laughs> That's a great question. And, and yeah, to point to your point um, a minute ago that, yeah, it is about creating change. It's about ch- changing our habits. And, you know, we've all created habits over time. We don't just do the things that we do because we do. And we've, we've made that into a habit. We, you know, you get up in the morning, you brush your teeth, you shower. Those are all habits and rituals. And there's it's nothing different with sustainability. It's really about changing these habits and how do we take one step, learn that step, and then it just becomes part of our daily ritual. And then we start doing, you know, more and more. And I think that's what people don't understand is they try to do too much at once. And it's trying to say, oh, we have to be all in or nothing. And it's like, it's not, it's not true. Just take steps. And that's okay. At least you're trying and you're that's what matters more than anything. And people who are in sustainability understand that. And we respect people who are at least trying. But yeah, so things like you know, the straws, we all know about the straw off the nose for the turtles. For me, ironically, it's not something that we already are really aware of, like the plastic forks and knives or the straws or plastic bags. We all know that conversation. For me, sustainability is not about buying the new cool product. And so we find that a lot of companies are trying to create these products and tell people, well, they have to be this in order to be sustainable. And that's not true. Um, Bamboo utensil sets are my biggest example in this because everybody thinks, oh, if I'm going to be sustainable, I have to go buy bamboo forks and knives. And I'm like, that's crap. Like use your silverware. You have a whole drawer of silverware that you can take with you. And so it's just a matter of looking at what you already have in your life versus having to get a new product. I look at sustainability as the first rule is refuse. How can we refuse versus having to buy something new? And I think that for me, it's people who really use sustainability to try to sell products versus using sustainability for what it actually should be is really where I get like a little irked. (laughs) That's a really good point. I had never looked at it that way, to be perfectly honest, because now that you say that, I think that's completely obvious because it is still like consumer culture. And I see that a lot with the new like bamboo things or sustainable materials in quotes. Well, I mean, we talk about plastic, the reusable bags, right? I mean, if anybody's like me, you have 50 reusable bags in the back of your car and they last maybe a year. I remember I went to an event and I rarely pick things up when I go places, but I went to an event and somebody handed me a reusable bag and I kind of didn't just refuse it. I ended up taking it and I went to the grocery store. First time I used it and I put something in it, I didn't even make it back to my car and the whole bottom of the bag fell out. No. And I was like, well, that defeats the purpose of having a reusable bag, doesn't it? (laughs) If it doesn't work, I can't reuse it. Right. And we talk about like, you know, everybody does, oh, we're going to put the water bottles out for people to use and everybody will have water bottles. I don't know about you, I have a whole cupboard full of water bottles. I don't need another one. I have one that I use, one that I love, and that's it. 
So thinking about being outside of the box of do we really need to create products we think people need? Because you're right, going back to conscious consumerism, that's how do we think about that in that way of sustainability as well as how do we make it so people don't need to buy more stuff? How do you manage like the guilt that can come with that? I'd imagine that you would probably feel that at some level too sometimes if you're like out and about and can't refuse something or can't get out of using something that you're like, man, this goes against my morals and what I stand for. I think everyone would face that if they're entering into trying to live a more sustainable life. Like just speak to us, I guess, on how you manage that guilt. Like what does it look like and how do you work through it? Yeah, that's actually a really great question. And and I will say, you know, I'm not perfect either. There's a lot of changes that I still need to make. I still love my toothpaste in a tube. Like it is like the changes like that are hard, you know, and especially when you live. Well, you say that and I'm like, wait, toothpaste in a tube is bad? Yeah, it's plastic because they're not, it's it's landfill. Yeah. So, you know, so there's, there's a lot of things. I mean, I still drive my car. Like there's a lot of things I still do. And I think for me is what can I do that's within my reach? And, and I live with somebody. So what is within my partner's reach? Because I choose this lifestyle. My partner doesn't necessarily choose this lifestyle. He's, he's wonderful. And he's great. And I'm very fortunate for that. But not everybody's in that situation. And that makes things a little more difficult. And I think that it's knowing that you are doing the best you can at every moment that you can to try to do better. And when you fail, It's not about beating yourself up and saying you failed. It's about, okay, next time I'll do better. Next time I'll remember my bags when I go into the grocery store. Next time I'll remember to tell um, no silverware when I order my my carry out. Especially now we have to ask for a lot of forgiveness with COVID because there's just so many things that we can't do that we are used to. We can't take our reusable coffee cups to the coffee shop. For me, it's more important to support my local coffee place so that they stay in business and Starbucks doesn't, you know, Starbucks doesn't get all their business. And so if it means having to get a paper cup to help that business stay one more day, then I'm going to accept that. So finding those offsets of what the balance is of what you can do to try to keep doing better and how you can, um, you know, just forgive yourself and just know that you'll just keep trying and that's all you can do. And it's collective change. Like it would be real hard for you to go all or nothing on sustainability efforts in just your daily life and the way that our culture is right now. And just knowing your values and figuring out like what you stand for can help you make those decisions. But it requires some work. It requires a lot of work and it requires conversations and patient conversations. I think that if, and I want to back up for a second because I want to note that the other thing to think about in this conversation is that we live in a linear society. A linear society is where items are created specifically with the mind in the mindset that they're going to go straight into the landfill. And really what we need to do is move into a circular economy. And what that circular economy means is that when those products are designed, they're designed with an end life in mind that will come back into the manufacturing process. So the idea is that we have this full circle that we can create from products life of a product to the end life of a product to create new products and keep it going. And we're just not there. We're just not there. So we have to remember that as well. Like there's just some things that are in the manufacturing part of this that we can't mm-hmm. really avoid that we're going to always end up with some kind of waste in our lives. But it's also having a conversation with people, reaching out to the companies that you really love and want to support and say, look, I love your products. I think you're amazing, but I don't 
really appreciate that you have all this waste. Is Are you working on something or is there something you can do? And just letting them know consumers have the power. I mean, we forget that sometimes vote with dollars is something we say a lot. But how do we get companies to understand that we really care about what they're doing? And that's by using our voice and just reaching out and saying, hey, I would like for you to reconsider this. Not something they can do right away. It takes a lot of time, you know. Processes like Coca-Cola have been making plastic bottles for years and they can't just switch over to a all aluminum or all glass line overnight. So we have to remember that, that these things take process, they take time. But if a company is willing to listen and be transparent and say we're working on it, then yeah, definitely support them and, and continue those conversations. I do think it's trending to hold people accountable, which is great. I think we should keep that trend going. And especially with businesses and calling them out on things like, you know, diversity and inclusion and sustainability can be the next wave. I don't think it's as strong yet, but it definitely could be as far as holding people accountable. Yeah, I think that it's getting there. Like, so we've talked about this a lot. Like, so I think COVID, you know, when COVID hit, we all in the sustainability world took a deep breath because we were like, oh, we, I mean, we all saw like the world shatter, like all policy stopped. You know, Denver was supposed to have a bag, to have a bag deposit fee for any plastic bags. And that ended up being restricted. All things that were in the state house for um, bills and policies got stopped. And so we were all like, oh no, sustainability goes out the door. But I honestly think this has woken people up to how important it is to take care of our environment. I think people see you know, you mentioned the fires. People have seen, like, if you live in Colorado or California, we've burned for months. People who are skiers and snowboarders in Colorado have yet to see good snow hit our mountains, which is really bad for us. People are realizing, oh, wait, a pandemic. We can have, this can happen again in less than 100 years. Like, it could happen again in our lifetime. So I think people are woke to this idea that we need to take care of Mother Earth because she's yelled at us a lot this year. Um, I mean, what do we go through three round of hurricane names? I think mm-hmm. she's yelling and she's screaming. And I, I think, and maybe this is just by, you know, I want to see the whole world of the way I do with sustainability, but I think people are really starting to get that we have a problem and we need to fix it. And, and I think the black lives matter movement is part of all of this because people who are living in black and Brown communities are the ones that usually take the brunt of sustainability issues. So they're the ones that live in neighborhoods with waste management spaces. And, um, and I think that, you know, we need to start having these two conversations together. If we're going to do better for our black and brown communities, we have to do better for the environment at the same time. Um, we always like to say you can't talk environmental justice without talking social justice because they are just so interconnected and sustainability is interconnected to everything at the end of the day. And how do we protect our environment and our earth? I totally agree with you. I think I agree with you on a few things. I have full faith that maybe not full faith, but I have a lot of faith in humanity that we will get our shit together for the environment. Because I do think like with COVID and having everything shut down and having those news stories of dreams and parts of the ocean that cleared up and the ozone healing itself and pollution going down in all these major cities really impacted people of like, oh, wow, like we could make a visible change if we stopped some of these things. And I do think that people will get there. I think that it has to get serious before it it gets real. And I 
think we're getting there with the fires and some of these other like environmental factors that are popping up. And I also think you're totally right with um, how this impacts black and brown lives and different communities in that way. And I think for me, at least COVID specifically has kind of lifted the veil on how much of that is intertwined. And, you know, that conversation, this is not related to sustainability, but also like this has come up with the the vaccine of like, well, are we going to help these communities also get the vaccine because they're heavily impacted and they don't have the same resources. And like, I could stay home for however long we need to. There's a lot of people that can't. So all that to say, same thing goes for sustainability efforts. Like we have to be reaching these communities and helping them do that in order to make like big change. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that that's where the change is going to come from. It's going to come from um, these lower income, you know, majority or minority communities because they're the ones that are directly affected. Um, and it's unfortunate that it had to come to the point where we had to see it. But, you know, we just live in a society where people, they don't see it, they don't believe it. And I think that, you know, that's been a major factor. And, and you know, and we can sit here and talk about climate change, you know, left and right. And you're still going to have people who are going to say, I don't believe in climate change. It's a hoax. We also have to have the conversation that we are actually physically running out of space for our trash. Like our country is not going to have a place to put our trash at some point. And that is a fact. There's no diet. There's no way around that. We are going to run out of space. Like, what does that mean? That means that we are going to be (laughs) trying to put trash in places that it doesn't exist. And it means a lot of it's going to go into our river waste and breaking down, you know, it's going to go it's going to end up in our farms. It's going to end up in our backyards. Like it's going to end up in places that we don't want it to end up. And it kind of has already, hasn't it? I I think I've heard or read stories of like farming animals eating food that has trash in it. And then we're eating that. Yeah. So microplastics, it was a study that came out in 2019 from the National Geographic uh, magazine that there are actually microplastics in our rain. So we are getting microplastics that are raining down on us. Microplastics are getting into our water streams, they're getting into our food streams, they're getting into all of our food. So animals are eating it. And then there's things that are, you know, that we eat. So they're finding that the human body is actually made up of microplastics because we are consuming all of that from the food that we eat. No, I hate that. <laughs> my co-founder and I have a really big joke that we're the party poopers. Nobody wants to hang out with us at parties and we have to sit in a corner and talk to ourselves because we're the ones that are telling people about how we're killing the environment while we're at a party. <laughs> I see it. I see how that's the case. And I also think that makes me think of like the bamboo forks, companies that are trying to make these things because I was like, okay, well, we need to make sustainability super cool then. And how do we do that? Make more stuff, which is part of the problem. So there's got to be another way to make sustainability like cool and get people behind That's it. That's one of the things we do with women's sustainability. We're a combination of serious and fun. Um, you know, it's hard work. Like it's hard to hard conversations sometimes. So we like to do a lot of comedy. Just try to find like any outlets that we can um, because it can, it can get tough. But um, if you ever get a chance, check out a company called Science Riot. And so Science Riot is a bunch of scientists who are trying to use comedy, and this is on all different scientific topics, to educate people about these science issues. And it is awkwardly, hilariously funny. Like it is like watching a scientist who's like data-driven, who's very like straightforward, try to be funny is so awkward, but you just can't like 
you just can't stop laughing at it. So, so there's organizations like that that are really trying to bring it down to this level of not using the scare tactics, right? So I think we talk about climate change and we say 12 years or we're dead. No, let's be done with scare tactics, (laughs) everyone. (laughs) Like, okay, okay, I get that. But let's like, let's talk about this in a different way. Well, I think it just cultivates that all or nothing mentality because you're Mm -hmm. so afraid of like, doing something not perfect. Yeah. So yeah, we'll yeah, be done with no, this. I totally agree. Yeah, trying to get people to create quick changes is not good. And and I think it's funny. So Seth Godin um, had an article about how, how basically the sustainability movement didn't have good marketing from the start. And I thought that was a really interesting way to look at it because it's like, you think about all the things we do, like you think about the Coleman, Susan G. Coleman stuff and how we've created this whole massive October campaign and it's everywhere and then they've created this whole light situation out of it whereas the climate movement we just created this whole scare tactic and people just look away whereas we could have done it in a different way and had this better marketing process for people to get more engaged and and I think we I see that now I speak not saying we because there's a lot of people that are in this movement but you know I think of it as in how do we get people engaged in a way that they want to stay engaged fear tactics are not going to work, but it is a serious thing. And it's worth fearing, honestly, but it's not something that if you just ignore, it's going to go away. So right. Well, and as we said, the effects of it, people are feeling those effects. And I think that that's making a big difference in why people are are getting it. And, And honestly, the youth, the youth is like the youth get it, right? Like, the youth are, they know more than I do. Like when I go and talk to youth, I get schooled by them because they are on it. They're like, look, this is what you guys gave to us. We're going to fix what you've done for the last 50 years. So they get it. Well, that's what we want from our youth. So good job, youths. Yeah, no, it's awesome. Like they're so motivated and they're, they get it. That's going to be a real change is that the youth today are going to, are going to make things better for all of us. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I wanted to ask you about recycling too. Because I have heard that even if you do recycle things, they don't go to recycling. Recycling is so complex in the United States. (laughs) Well, let me start there. Everyone has heard that China stopped taking all of our waste. So basically what was happening is we started the single streams recycling system in the 70s. And we all just kind of started throwing stuff into one bin. It used to be separate. And then we went to the single stream. We all put it into one bin. And we would go to the recycling facility, they would sort things out and bail it and send it to China. Well, China was just taking all of our stuff. They didn't care. China finally one day said, why are we taking all this plastic that's all contaminated? It's different types of plastics. It all has food on it. It's all, it's a, it's a hot mess. China was like, what? Like, this is, we're not doing this anymore. Honestly, they should have done it like 20 years ago. (laughs) So now it's having to come back and figure out the, the idea of like, what are we doing with our plastic? So with the recycling industry, there isn't, there is a place that those products have to go. So when we send our, our recycling to the facility, they're a business as well. They have to be able to sell our recycled products to somebody to be able to repurpose those products. And that's what was happening in China. They were using that to make a lot of the, um, you know, things that we use like televisions and um, computers and all that stuff that's, that's marketed. And now that they're not taking it, we don't have end markets created in the United States. And so now we've got to play catch up to that. And so luckily we live in a really cool state in Colorado where Jared Polis just signed in the end markets bill. 
And that legislation will actually free up technology and money for companies to come in and be able to take recycled products to create new products for um, to use for consumers. But we need more of that throughout the United States. We need more of, of things like that. Um, Colorado also has a company called Momentum, which is which is recycled glass. And so when we send our glass to the recycling facilities, they sort it out, they send it to Momentum, Momentum cleans it further. They then send it to Rocky Mountain Bottle Company, which creates it into new bottles, which goes to Coors to be able to fill the bottles and then redistribute. So it takes 30 days for that whole loop to happen. It's not that way everywhere. And I think it's, you know, how do we create a better system in the United States, hoping under new leadership that we're coming into, that that will be something that we talk about. Um, We need to get a more standardized recycling process. We need to have ways of places that we can send this stuff. And the biggest thing I, you know, would tell consumers and people that are listening is a couple things. Learn about recycling. Learn what is actually recyclable. Because when we send products to recycling facilities that are not actually recyclable, it's called wish cycling. And it's, it's actually harder for the recycling facility to be able to process. So know what recycling is available. Know who your hauler is. Um, know who is picking up your trash. What do they actually accept? What do they take? Have a conversation with them. Like they actually will tell you what they do and do not take if you reach out and ask because they would rather you get it right than it be more complicated for their system. Where do you learn? Like where do you learn that stuff? How do you know what is recyclable? Yeah. So um, usually most haulers websites. So for, you know, depending on where you live, if you're in Colorado, there's multiple different recycling facilities or trash haulers here. Um, The biggest one is waste management or now GFL in the city of Denver. Um, But go to their website. It's the first thing you do. Go to their website. Um, Places like GFL, EcoCycle also have apps that you can download and put in like, what is your, like your product? And it'll tell you where you can recycle those items. And then if you're not sure, contact them. Um, there's always email addresses and it's just ask like, hey, or give them a call. Say, hey, is, I just want to make sure is this actually recyclable? Making sure all your products are always cleaned out. Um, so any glass jars, your water bottles are empty, like all that stuff. Just making sure it's as clean as possible to send to them. And just, yeah, really getting to know. And, and after COVID's over, most recycling facilities do tours. I hope they go back to that. I highly recommend everybody go tour a recycling facility. It is so eye-opening when you actually see the process of it. It makes you realize, oh, I I need to do a little bit better at my recycling. This needs to be the Netflix documentary. (laughs) Like someone needs to get on this. This is the marketing play that we need. I didn't know that you could go to their website and just find out like where that information lives. Yep. Yeah. Most of them will have it listed on their website and they're, and they're going to tell you because again, it's easier for them if we do it right than it is for us to just keep throwing all of our trash into the recycling facility because they got to sort through all of it. And there's a lot of its process. A lot of it is automation. And so it detects that what's being down, coming down the conveyor line. And, and then you have humans who are trying to do it as well. So it's an inter- it's a really fascinating process, and like I said, I highly recommend everybody go and check it out and just take the time to get to know. Um, you know, the, one of the things that we're trying to re-educate right now on is that the actual symbols that we've been taught our whole life, those one through sevens, that if it says that it's recyclable, just throw it in your recycling. That's not actually true. <laughs> what does it mean? Then? So the numbers are just what the as a code for what the resin, the plastic resin is. And it doesn't necessarily mean that there's an end market for 
that product. So this doesn't necessarily mean that if I send a plastic five to my recycling facility, that that recycling facility can pull that five out and bond and bail it and have a place for it to go. So recycling means again, that has to have a place to go in order for it to be recycled. Fortunately, there was a bill that passed in the house a year or two ago, trying to do more standardized recycling and getting rid of the numbers basically. But there's, again, it's a lot that has to happen because again, you have your manufacturers on board, you have to have your recyclers on board, you have to have end markets. So it, it, there's a lot that has to go into all of it. And it's kind of like, you know, we were talking, we referenced the, the diversity, equity, inclusion movement earlier. It's the same thing. We have to bring all voices to the table. So everybody needs to sit and figure out how can we actually solve this problem. And it hasn't really happened that way so far. It's just been a lot of individuals trying to fix things without everybody being involved in the conversation. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think we should make our own system in the U.S. and create some jobs and make some more money and do better. <laughs> yes, yes, all of the above. But I will note, don't let this end up, like discourage any of the listeners to stop recycling like just learn just take that time to to learn about what it is and what's happening and um again talking like till your holler i was i do a presentation around recycling and waste and i always have a the little ghostbuster song and it says who are you gonna call your holler <laughs> so if you don't know call your holler <laughs> yeah that's awesome i didn't even know that they were called hollers if there are any of simple swaps that maybe we haven't touched on, that would be helpful for people to know. Um, yeah, so there's, I mean, there's a lot. It just depends on where you want to start and where you want to do things. Um, I always recommend do it room by room in your house. So again, trying not to do everything at once and really just taking little things and, and changing them out. We are very fortunate in Colorado that we live, we have several refill stores in the area um so that's one of my biggest things is you know instead of going and buying a new bottle of shampoo or conditioner find a refill store go refill your product you can refill shampoo mm -hmm. yep where yeah so there's multiple ones um in the denver metro area there's joy fill out in tennyson um home fill is down on rhino uh zero market is in edgewater and in uh, aurora so there's lots of places you can do um, or switching to bars. A lot of people are really into the bars. I'll be honest, I'm trying to do bars right now and I don't love the conditioner. It's a struggle for me. But the nice part about refilling is that you can go and get just a little bit of the product and try it. And so you're not buying an entire container of something and then deciding you don't like it. You can just get what you need and try, try it for a week and then... That's like a whole business idea too. Get more of those. Yeah, no, I love, yeah, the refill stores are, are amazing. Because I'm sure there's limited options too of what you can purchase yeah. in that way. Like I have some specific hair yeah. needs and I don't know if they would have them. But yeah, that's just me scheming my own business idea. And that is 100% true. And it takes, it takes a while. I mean, again, I'm still playing around with a lot of our products. and um, But, you know, then that's okay. So if the shampoo conditioner don't work, what are other things, you know, so like your dishwashing liquid, your dishwasher soap, um, your um, hand soaps, you know, refilling all of your hand soaps. And, and again, just starting with one room at a time, because if you try to keep doing separate rooms and try to do it, um, it becomes a little convoluted and gets a little overwhelming. But 
just making those simple switches, again, making those change, those change in your habits. Um, it takes a little bit of thought in some of these changes, but once you get to that point, it just becomes natural for you and you don't think about it. You know, we, we go to the refill store, we always do it where we've got our backups ready and we know how like we, we make a day of it, right? So we'll go get some beers and we'll get the refill and, and that's become our, our thing. So just making it a part of what you're doing and a part of your, your life and it just becomes natural and little before you know it, you're living sustainable. That's fun. I mean, that sounds like a fun yeah. day. I mean, I think of almost all of them have breweries like right next door. So Okay, cool. Well, before we wrap up, I have three like rapid fire questions that I started asking everyone. What do you like to do that makes you feel like your best self? I love the mountains. I'm a hiker. We like to get out in nature. Um, it, for me, if I had a choice, I would go to the ocean probably every day <laughs> to take care of myself. I'm, I love water and being by water. Um, so that is my, my life joy. Yeah, you're in the wrong state for that. <laughs> I'm totally in the wrong state for it. <laughs> I got the mountains. The mountains are awesome too. Um, and we enjoy those all as much as we possibly can. Um, and just being outside, like we go to baseball games. I love to go to baseball games with my partner cool. and just hang out. So what piece of advice would you give to us that if we all followed, we'd be better Have off? patience with yourself and forgiveness with yourself, especially with sustainability. Everyone will fail doing it. I live the life I fail doing it. Um, so just offering patience and forgiveness. Yeah, I like that because it can be applied to everything, not just sustainability efforts. 100%, yeah. <laughs> what do you do for inspiration when you're feeling uninspired? I love this question more than anything. Um, I turn to my community. The reason why women's sustainability ever started in the first place was because I would find myself in a place that it, I would feel stuck or I'd feel a little depressed. And so I would find the, oh, an amazing woman doing sustainability and I would go network with them and I'd feel all energized and excited. And, you know, two days later, I'd feel depressed again. And so I kept doing it over and over again. And community that is women in sustainability is one of the most incredible communities I could ever be a part of. And they just lift me up every day and just so amazing to be able to be a part of, of this community. So um, I turn to them. They're my, they're my uplifters. Awesome. I love that. Cool. So where can everyone find you? Can we get involved with the Facebook group? I don't know if that's local or is there another one, but where can people find you online and engage with you and what you're Women doing? Womeninsustainability.org. We are on Facebook um, under a private group currently. And then we do have a public group that is in the process of being launched as well, all under Women in Sustainability. Um, we currently are called Colorado, but we um, will go as a nationwide organization once we launch um, next year as a nonprofit. So um, that, and then personally, you can also go to thebegreenco.com, which is um, all my information. Yeah, and that's your Instagram too, yes, right? Yeah, so my Instagram is um, at thebegreenco. I think Women's Sustainability also has Instagram as well. That's it for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of it and please do not feel guilty. Do your part to make the world a little bit better, but do with, do what's in your reach and have grace with yourself. We're all still learning, but it is something that we need to pay attention to. Please come find me on Instagram if you are not already with me over there. I love to interact with you guys during the week. I would be so sad if all I did was put out these podcast episodes every Monday and did not have any other interaction with you. I love, love, love talking to all of you. So please come find me at the Tea Please podcast. All right, I'll catch you in the next episode.